Dear fellow redeemed, we consider briefly our reading from uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. This account of a man who was possessed by a legion of demons, roughly equivalent to um, maybe a, a company of soldiers or perhaps even a battalion. And his life looks miserable. I think the Gospel of Mark includes a little bit more detail than the Gospel of Luke does. But I think the very first question that we have to ask, and what we have to see here, is exactly what is going on. This demon possession, what's going on? I've been a pastor for, well, it'll be um, 11 years this August. And to my knowledge, I haven't encountered anybody who has demonstrated that they are possessed by a demon. Although there are a few cases where I wouldn't entirely rule it out either. And what's going on? Well, what we do know is that for a demon to take entire possession of a person's body such as this, that they are not in the faith, that they are apart from Christ. And that in some way, that, that heart which came into the world dead as sin and dead in sin, that heart became entirely possessed by, by the devil or by other demonic activity. And what we do know is um, that apparently there is a little bit of correlation sometimes between um, substance abuse, use and abuse, or perhaps persistent sin that opens a door, or perhaps activity and an interest that really shouldn't be there. It's kind of a scary concept if you start to think about it. There might be, there might be one instance in scripture of the woman who was bent over, who was there at the synagogue, the woman who was bent over, and she could not straighten up for a period of years, almost a dozen years if I remember correctly. And, um, and it seems that her body was under control of the devil, even though she was still a believer. Because in that instance, Jesus referred to her as a daughter of Abraham, a term that he would use to describe somebody who was a believer. And that opens the door a little bit to help us understand what is going on. That when Jesus shows up here in the region of the Gerasenes, the demons know exactly who he is. The demons know why he is there. And even though, even though the topic <laughs> is worthy of a, an extended Bible class instead of just a few minutes at the beginning of a sermon, even though the topic might be even interesting and there are so, all sorts of movies about it, the one thing that we have to see as, as Christians is the power of our Savior in his word. The power of our Savior in his word. Here when he shows up and they, and they say, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And all they can do is say, have mercy on us. And he says the word and then they go into the pigs. And the man is freed. And there would be some who would say that, well, you know, when the Bible talks about demon possession, we know now, we know better that it's nothing but mental illness or they just are off their meds or whatever the case may be. As if to say we have surpassed and gone beyond, gone beyond such backward ideas such as demonic and spiritual activity. 
And that's a very appealing thought in our, in our world and in our society, to think that science and medicine can correct every wrong and has the answer all the time. And it's also wrong. Because scripture, and Luke, who is, a, who is a doctor, he certainly knows what mental illness and what illness actually looks like. And he's very clear and specific about what's going on here. And I think by, by example, I would refer to um, one of our former seminary uh, professors and then presidents. And uh, he actually did the translation for the Red Hymnal on the words of institution. And when he was a young pastor hitting the streets in Florida in the summertime, like, you got to be crazy there to start with. You know, walking around, it's like 95 degrees and 95% humidity. And um, knocking on doors saying, I'd like you to come to our church as a relatively new pastor. And he gets to one, one house and, um, and all the windows are open. And the man opens the door to the knock. <laughs> and the man says, come on in, Professor Pastor Schutze, at the time. I've been waiting for you. And they take a seat in this house that is ice cold. That there's a spiritual reality and a spiritual battle that goes on for your heart and for your life. And Satan doesn't need to take possession of you as he did here in Luke chapter 8, but he will fight for you nonetheless. And perhaps a vivid example from recent history would bring that point home a little bit more clearly, exactly as we just talked about. Not just, not just a long time ago when it was this man in the region of the Gerasenes, but also recently with a pastor of our own fellowship, and we could go on with examples for quite a long time, but I'm not here to talk about examples of things that scare us. I'm here to talk about the power of Jesus' word in this battle for your heart. In this battle for your heart, Satan doesn't need to grab hold of you, take possession of you, you don't need to stray from him through persistent sin. You don't need to walk down the back alleys and find some other illicit substance to alter your, your mind. All it takes is for your Bible to sit there unused. All it takes is for that Bible app to remind you um, you haven't, haven't opened this app in 27 and a half days and you have fallen off schedule. All it takes is to say, well, you know, we're out of town and we're on vacation and, um, and even though there's no church nearby, all it takes is to leave that Bible at home and to let the powerful words of Jesus sit unused. That's all it takes. And I guess together with that is the reason why we've got the red up front today. Because today is the 1,697th anniversary of the Nicene Creed. When, yes, one of the tricks of the devil is to distract Christians from his word. Another trick of the devil is to distort what Christ says in his word. 
there in 325 BC, or 325 AD, obviously, um, St. Nicholas and Athanasius and a few other people that you may have heard of and maybe not, they gathered together at Nicaea to talk about Jesus Christ. Is he truly God or is he just like the first creation of God? Has he always existed and therefore he is truly God or was he just the first creation of God? And he's the best part of all creation, but he's still a created being. And at that council, they looked at the word of God. And the, the guy, the, the heretic, was named Arius. And he's still around today um, in the, the teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses, where they, they teach that Jesus isn't truly God. He was just the first creation by God. Why does this matter? Why does any of this matter? Why would we take time on a beautiful sunny day when it's so bright out to talk about demon possession, to look at an account of a demon-possessed man? Why would, why would we talk about the heresy of Arius and how St. Nicholas got up and punched him in the face when he wouldn't sit down <laughs> when the governor and the emperor told him to? Because it is a spiritual battle. And it doesn't take demon possession to distract you from the word of God. It might just be something as simple as, um, as sadness or feeling let down or even feeling unfulfilled in any way and letting that sit and letting our pride get in the way so that we don't actually talk about what's on our minds and on our hearts. And then it just kind of sits there and over time turns into something else. Maybe disappointment. Maybe anger. Maybe frustration. Satan doesn't need to take possession of you personally in order to distract you from the Word of God. He's got all the tools that he would want in our human hearts and human emotions to get us so wrapped up in what we feel here and how others out there haven't done enough for me. And over time, it just kind of snowballs. And our heart takes advantage and takes the reins. And even though, even though we might have that Bible sitting right there, the words pass over our heads, pass by our hearts. And even though we've got the word of God, if we don't apply it to ourselves, then we are just as lost. It's kind of terrifying. And that's why Jesus went to this man. That's why Jesus came to this man. Because only his powerful word would bring relief. Only his powerful word would bring freedom. Only his powerful word would set this man free from whatever was ailing him, demonic possession in this case. And only his powerful word can take possession of your heart and mine. Because we live in a world 
where everything and everyone, everything that we see on TV will tell us, dear friend, you're missing out and you need something more. And even that Christian heart, still battling against the sinful flesh, that sinful flesh says, yes, I am missing out and I do need more. And the Christian heart says, well, I know my God has been good to me, but I need more. And it's a difficult thing to talk about because to talk about the interplay and the influence of our emotion on our faith, our faith isn't based on emotion. But the emotions that we feel, especially if left unaddressed, can really influence our faith, and sometimes in a good way, and sometimes not. And we need Jesus and his word to address our hearts just as much. Just as much as this man who, when asked, what is your name, and they said, Legion. (laughs) We need Jesus and his word to set us free just as much to address not just, not just this man's demon possession, but to address even our own hearts, to look into the mirror of God's law with, with all of its clarity, and to say, where have I let frustration creep in? And where have I pointed the finger instead of admitting myself. So that Jesus, through that same word, can set us free. So that Jesus can say to you and to me, Dear Christian, he knows the truth about you. Dear Christian, he carried your sin. Dear Christian, Whatever it is that you think you might be missing out on, whatever it is that you might be frustrated about or even ashamed of, even if it's something that you feel like you can't say to anybody else, it is something that you can say to your Lord. It is something that you can say to your Lord to say that, you know what, life in this world is tough. And sometimes it is. But this Jesus has done everything. And has promised everything. So that whatever it is that you might be carrying, you don't have to carry it anymore. Because Jesus has. Because the frustration is something that you can confess to to God or to one another. And to announce to one another, to verbalize these words. Dear friend, you are forgiven. Dear friend, I don't hold it against you because my Lord doesn't hold it against you. We pray together. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we admit together, Lord, I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. I've left the good undone and the bad done. And look at what Jesus says. He doesn't just say it once and say it in a very simple way, such as, well, Christ has died, Christ has risen. Um, He has removed your guilt forever, and I forgive you all your sins. But he goes on to demonstrate it. He goes on to demonstrate that you, as a Christian, you have his words. You have his words placed in your heart and on your mind. You have the ability to announce both calling someone to repentance, 
to say that was wrong and that offended me or that hurt me, as well as to say, dear Christian, I forgive you. And that's the Christian difference. Because that reality of forgiveness that Jesus won at the cross and at the empty tomb, that reality of forgiveness that he distributes here at his table is also a reality that is passed from person to person as we announce it out loud. As we say to each other, dear friend, you are forgiven. And yes, it might be, it might be personally difficult to feel, to feel like you have completely forgiven somebody, but... You can still, at the same time, say that Jesus has forgiven your sin because you are a person, and Jesus, who is eternally God, who has no beginning and has no end, that this Jesus became a human in order to carry your guilt and your shame and your frustration and your disappointment, to carry the way that you have disappointed God and each other so that he has clothed you and given you his forgiveness. Where we join together in this meal together, not just each one individually receiving Christ's body and blood, but joining together where you can actually see each other across the table or next to each other, um, joining together in this fellowship. This fellowship of people who are gathered together under the cross of Christ. This fellowship of people who, who all admitted together, even though it, it was a general confession, but it was a good paragraph long at the top of page three. We have all admitted together that I don't stand here on the basis of my reputation. Because if that were the case, well, throw me into the abyss with the, with the pigs. But I stand here on the basis of Jesus, and he has given me his word. And he has given you his word. Because we live in a world where there's a spiritual battle going on outside, where there's the spiritual tug of war between the sinful flesh that always says, I want what I want and I want it now, and the life of faith that says, I'm here to serve my fellow Christian, to serve my fellow person. There's always that spiritual tug of war, and you and I need the encouragement, even if we aren't saying, my name is Legion, at the same time. It might take on the form of, I'm frustrated, I'm ashamed, I'm angry. I'm disappointed. I feel let down. And to be able to say and to receive and to say, dear Christian, do you see what your Lord has promised to you and has given for you? Dear Christian, do you see the family of believers where you have been gathered together and clothed with the armor of God? Dear Christian, do you see the victory that you carry in your heart and in your lips? The victory to be able to say that even, even Satan himself has to run screaming because you carry the cross on your forehead and his word in your heart. That's the exact point that our first reading made from Isaiah chapter 43. And if those words sounded familiar, um, a few chapters previously, God had said those exact things about Jesus, about the Messiah, the Son of God. That here's my witness whom I have chosen, and I have put my word in his mouth. And then he applies those words to you and to me. To say, dear Christian, everything that Jesus has is yours. All the power that he possesses is yours. All the words that he has given are yours. So that we speak. 
and not just in the pious platitudes of, of a culture that is nominally Christian, such as, you know, I'm in good with the big guy upstairs and I can't wait till I get to the good place. No, as a Christian, as we celebrate especially, you know, the Nicene Creed, we can confess very specifically that I know my Lord loves me because Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, shared my humanity and carried my sin, the sin I was born with, the sin that I did, the sin that I don't want to admit before anybody else. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead to guarantee my forgiveness. And just as, you know, when the, the stone is rolled away and right over here in the picture, uh, the stone crushes the serpent's head. <laughs> One of my favorite little details uh, right up there. So also, that victory was placed on your head at your baptism and was given to you again in his supper and was placed in your heart. And it's in your hands with your Bible. And it's in your mind with that word. And it's exercised as we encourage one another. Because it's so easy, it's so easy to think that the battle is between you and me, between people on this earth, between the person who has let me down or disappointed me and, and they need to make it right, the person who has hurt me and they need to make it right. But that's not the battle that Jesus talks about here today. The battle he talks about is between Christians and those who would tear Christians away from their confession. The battle is between Christ's people and those who would distract them from his word. The battle is between Jesus Christ himself and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that is the devil, who would want to use anything and everything from the great and tragic, the events of this world, to the individual things like demonic possession, to even our own hearts, and emotions which can be twisted by our sinful flesh, that this devil will use anything to distract us from the Word of God and its power. And so, I guess all I've got to say is that this man, after like the worst year or years of his life, he has these demons exit him and go into the pigs. And the people of the town come running. And there he is sitting clothed and in his right mind and um, conversing with them. And he asks Jesus, he begs Jesus, even as the people of the crowd are terrified, Jesus, get out of here because you're powerful and it scares us. The man says, I want to come with you. I want to come with you. And Jesus turns to him and says, well, dear Christian, dear friend, you've got the word of God. And you know, you know the change that God has made in your life. So go, return to your home and tell how much God has done for you. Amen. Amen.